Matthew chapter 23. Several years ago now, it seems like just yesterday, but several years ago I had the enormous privilege of going to Israel. Pastor Stone uh, took me on a trip there and it was just an awesome, awesome trip. One of the most amazing trips of my life. And uh, I will remember it for, for always, forever, however you want to say that. But we saw all kinds of amazing places. Um, and just be honest, life-changing places to think about what went on here and to be in the place where those things happened and where be on the sea where Peter walked. I mean, that's pretty awesome to be where Jesus was, all these different things. We saw all kinds of amazing things. But one of the coolest places that we went was the Dead Sea. And I actually want to show you a picture of that, the Dead Sea, okay? Dead Sea was absolutely beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I mean, the water is so blue it looks like the Caribbean. It's just beautiful. And I personally, I love the contrast between the brown and the blue. I know that's probably not pleasing to everybody else's eye, but to me, I really like that just because it's like, wow, we're in the midst of a desert and here is this amazing sea. There's mountains you can see on other sides. The water's so blue. looks amazing. I love it. You can actually float, all right? Everybody says, can you actually float? Yes, you can. So there's everybody laying back, you know, there's pictures of people reading books, no flotation devices, nothing, right? They are just floating there. I'm weird, okay? So I can't just lay back and float. I got to try something different. So I thought, I wonder if you can just keep walking. So you just keep walking, and the sea, it's a normal sea, right? It just keeps getting deeper, right? So here I am walking out, walking out, walking out, and it's getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And you get to right about here, and you can't feel the bottom anymore, and that's where you stay. And you can just keep bobbing, right? It was so cool. I'm like, wow, there is a lot of salt in this place. When you can do that, it was amazing. Really cool experience. So that's the Dead Sea. Another place we went to was called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And I want to show you a picture of that as well. This is a Catholic church. It's quite a beautiful building with the domes and the golden crosses and all kinds of different things. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is famous because it is said to be the place where Jesus was both crucified and buried. Okay? It is said to be that place but where Jesus was both crucified and buried. This building encompasses both of those places. Okay? So this is super special, really nice place to be. But these two places, of all the places, these two places stand out in my memory for two reasons. Okay? For two reasons. Number one, both of them are extremely beautiful. Both of them are extremely beautiful. In my opinion, breathtaking. I always wonder, how do they make those domes? That building's hundreds if not thousands of years old. How did they do that? Absolutely spectacular. Dead Sea, natural beauty. That's almost beyond compare in my opinion. Again, I've not been everywhere in the world, but it is something beautiful to behold. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is an extremely ornate building. Very impressive. They put a lot of time, they put a lot of money, they put a lot of effort into making it look beautiful. So that's the first reason. The second reason that I, these things stand out to me is that these two places, the inside was so much different than the outside. You look at the Dead Sea, it's beautiful. But there's nothing living there. It's dead. If you will, it's a dark place. When you walk into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, it is an eerie, dark, gloomy, almost spiritually oppressed place. 
There were people at the place where Jesus was said to have been crucified. Reaching as far as they could through plexiglass, trying to just touch the stone, weeping, wailing, trying to get just a blessing of God on their lives. I never even made it to the place where they believe Jesus was buried. There was a line lined up so long it would have taken me hours to get through the line. And it's dark, it's gloomy. I can't express to you the feeling when you step foot into that place. Not a, it's not this picture, I can guarantee you. It's dark. It's eerie. It's beyond compare. The Dead Sea, beautiful. It's no, nothing lives there. It's full of death. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is a place of darkness as well. It was cold, lifeless. It was an eerie experience. The outside of both of these places were beautiful. But the inside was dark and full of death. Say, why are you bringing up these two things today? Well, because these two places in Israel are not unlike the people that come to church in St. Thomas, Ontario. Several thousand miles away, we have two dark places inside beautiful on the outside but dark on the inside and the reality is that the same might be said of some of us that sit here this morning we dress the part we look the part we we talk the part we act the part even but inside we're dark we may have it all together on the outside but on the inside is darkness full of death my entire goal today is for each one of us to look inward again I'm going to say this, and I say this often because I have this problem. Don't think about anyone else today. Don't think about your neighbor. Don't think about your spouse. Don't think about the person sitting across the room for you. Think about you and where you're at right here, right now. Look inside of yourself. Each one of us needs to take stock of our own lives and be honest with ourselves. No lying to yourself this morning to see if there be any wicked way in us. Matthew chapter 23, in these verses, Jesus presents the Pharisees with eight woes. Eight woes. Now, woe from Strong's Dictionary is an exclamation of grief. An exclamation of grief. It's a recognition or a warning of grief to come. Woe! Hang on. Don't go down that road. You're going to have some grief come. Woe. It's also, I believe this, it's a recognition of how our actions grieve the Savior. It's an exclamation of grief. Woe, listen, woe unto you. This is how it's making me feel as your Savior. Woe, if you don't pay attention, you're going to go down this road and there's grief at the end of the road. So today we're in Matthew chapter 23. I want to read the entire passage, but for sake of time, I won't. I'm just going to read the eight woes. I'm just going to read the eight woes. Look with me in verse 13. The Bible says this, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that enter to go in. Verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater condemnation. Excuse me, greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more 
the child of hell than yourselves. Verse 16. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Talks much more about that in verse 17 to 22. I want you to jump down to verse 23. The Bible says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Notice what they are, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Verse 25, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Verse 27, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Verse 29, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous. Every single one of these woes, every single one of them is a warning about the outside not matching the inside. Every single one of these is about the outside, not matching the inside. And it's not necessarily my intention to get into every one of these things specifically this week. I would love to walk through every one of these and explain them to you and why they're bad and why they're wicked. But let's suffice it to say this. I want to boil everything down to this one point. And if you're in the habit of writing things down, write this down. It's time to quit chasing the praise of man and start pursuing the praise of God. Let me say it one more time. It's time to quit chasing the praise of man and start pursuing the praise of God. For centuries, for centuries, religious people have cared only about what they look like publicly. For centuries. This is not new to 21st century Christianity. This was not new to the Pharisees. This was not new to all of these people that Jesus is talking to right here. This is constant. This is consistent. This is for centuries. Religious people care more about what they look like publicly and outwardly. They care about what everyone else sees. They care about it. They will dress in a certain way. They will act a certain way. They will even in this passage it says they gave in a certain way. They tithe and knees and mint and come in and all these things. All the while in the background, in the darkness, if you will, behind closed doors. What are they doing? They're living a life that is far different. Far, far different than what they portray on the outside. For centuries. This is not a Bible Baptist church problem. This is an all of humanity problem. And here's the problem is it does filter in. It does come into our lives and it does mold us and shape us. So once again, let me ask you to look deep within yourself this morning. Look deep within yourself. Be honest with yourself and ask yourself a serious question. Do I look different on the inside than I do on the outside? Do I look different on the inside than I do on the outside? So here's what many people do. Many people will take this and use this as permission to do what they want on the outside. 
and say something like this, you don't know my heart. I'll, I'll dress the way that I want to dress. I'll act the way that I want to act. I'll do what I want to do. But you can't judge me because you don't know my heart. Right? They'll use this as permission. And so I want you to understand I'm not promoting that thought process today. The reality is what is on the inside ought to match what's on the outside. We've seen much in Christianity today. We've seen things this way that you don't know my heart. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 says this, though. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So listen to me. If you're telling me today, listen, I'm just going to feel my own heart. I'm going to run with my own heart. I'm going to do what I want to do. Let me warn you. Woe unto you. Your heart is deceitful, listen, above all things. Above all things. It's the most deceitful thing that you have in your life. Your heart. And listen, all the Disney movies are telling us, go with your heart. Go with your heart. Please, don't go with your heart. It's deceitful. Listen, and I understand you want to do what you believe is right to do. I'm fine with that. Listen, back it up with the Word of God. Back it up with the Word of God. Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Verse 10 says this, I, the Lord, search the heart. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful. Jeremiah 17, verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. See, God knows why you do what you do. God knows why you dress the way that you dress. God knows why you listen to the music you listen to. And listen, I'm, I'm using just a few small examples. There's a wide array. I can't give every example under the sun today, but you know. You can look inside of your heart right now and you know. Listen, again, don't look outside. Don't look at anybody else right now. Look at your heart. Again, if you're in the habit of writing things down, write this down. God cares more about what's going on inside of you than what's happening on the outside. Let me say it again. God cares more about what's going on on the inside of you than he does on the outside, than what's happening on the outside. Some of you may not agree with that statement. But the reality is still the truth. God cares far more about what's going on. Did I say God doesn't care about the outside? I did not say that. The reality is God cares about what's going on on the inside. He is searching your heart. He's seeing your motives. He's seeing your thoughts. He sees your heart. He sees it. You may ask, why does God care more about the inside? This is why, write this down, the inside always, always, always affects the outside. Mark it down. Take it to the bank. The inside always affects the outside. So here's the deal. Some of us that sit here in this room today, maybe even listening online, some of us have unresolved conflict in our lives. Some of us have unresolved conflict in our lives. Some of us have bitterness. Some of us are angry. Some of us are hurt. Some of us are just desperately wicked. Some of us are broken. Some of us 
are damaged. Some of us are rebellious. Some of us are defiant. Some of us are desperate. We all have a story. Every single one of us that sits here today has a story of something that has happened to us or something that we have done. We don't want anyone else to see that. We want to keep that as close to us as possible. We want to bury it as far deep down inside of us. And we would never want to deal with that. We want to put on airs. We want to do what we have to do. We want to get by just today. I just want to please everybody today. Can I get a little real with you today? It doesn't matter if I can see your hurt. It doesn't matter if I can see your pain. It doesn't matter if I can see your bitterness. It doesn't matter if your spouse can see it. It doesn't matter if your friend can see it. It doesn't matter if the person across the room can see it. Here's the reality of this. God sees it. God sees your hurt. God sees your bitterness. God sees your anger. God sees what's going on inside of you. I want you to understand that. That's why Matthew 23 is written. Because Jesus is God. Jesus can see right through the Pharisees and say, Hey, hypocrites, you're different than you were on the inside. You're acting a certain way, but inside you're doing something much different. So God not only sees all of these things, don't miss this. God cares about it. God cares about your unresolved conflict. God cares about your bitterness. God cares about your anger. God cares about your hurt. God cares about your wickedness. God cares about your deceit. God cares about your brokenness. God cares about your damage. God cares about your rebellion. God cares about your defiance. God cares about your desperation. God cares about what's going on inside of you right now. The reality is all I get to see is the outside. So listen, this is not about me and what I see. I just told everybody in this room, don't look at somebody else so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I see. It doesn't matter what someone else sees. It doesn't matter what anyone else in the world sees. The question is, what does God see? God cares about what's going inside of you going on inside of you right now. Right now. And he wants to help you change that. Whatever that is. I believe this, God is pointing to something in your life right now. While I was writing this message, God was poking at it. Hey, you need to take care of this. And you know what? Nobody else knows about it. Nobody else can see it. Nobody else knows what's going on. But listen, it's causing us major grief in our lives. Causing us difficulty. Woe. Woe is an exclamation of grief. Woe. And maybe it's time that we submit that to God. Maybe it's time that we gave that over to the Lord and said, listen, I'm done I'm done with this. I'm not doing this anymore. I know you see it. And my inside is affecting the outside. I try to put on airs. I try to do what I'm supposed to do. But it's affecting me. The wonderful thing about the Bible is it's full of contrasts. It shows us a desperate side, but it also shows us a wonderful side. 
So I want to show you one of these particular contrasts. I want to take some time and I want to contrast eight woes to nine blessings. Eight woes to nine blessings. Go over to Matthew chapter 5 with me. Matthew chapter 5. I want to begin in verse 3. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. The Bible says this. Blessed. Totally different word than woe. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they that mourn. They shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. They shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For what? They shall see God. I want you to notice that verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Notice, for they shall see God. That's going to be important in just a second. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye. And men shall revile you and persecute you. And shall sell all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Again, I would love to take hours upon hours and walk through every single one of these blessings. Or what the Bible calls, what we call the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. But I want you to understand this this morning. These nine blessings, these nine beatitudes, listen to me, don't miss this, will never be accomplished by outward metrics. They won't. Every one of these blessings are an inward dealing. Every one of these blessings are things that can only come from an intimacy with Jesus Christ. Bless it. Bless it. Bless it. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, look what it is, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Listen, you know what these are? These are outward signs of what's going on on the inside. You see, it's the fruit of the Spirit. You see, we can't see a Spirit. That's, that's kind of the definition of a Spirit, right? You can't see the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit living in your life will show forth outwardly love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Is it any wonder that there's nine of them? 
See, God says, listen, if you will follow me, if you will walk in intimacy with me, if you will spend time with me, if you will care more about my praise than you will about the praise of other people, listen, you'll start to produce things outwardly. The fruit will show. You won't even have to try. It'll just come out naturally. Listen, it matters what goes on on the inside. Everything good that God wants to produce in your life must come, must come from an intimacy with him. If you're in the habit of writing things down, write it this way. You will never produce the fruit of God by trying to put on a show for man. You will never produce the fruit of God by trying to put on a show for man. Do you think that it's time to stop chasing after the praise of man? Do you think it's time to stop chasing after the praise of man and start pursuing an intimacy with God? Start pursuing Him today? Do you think that today is the day that you submit that whatever's holding you back, whatever that thing is, to him. Do you think that it's time? Let me ask you this question as we slowly bring things to a close. What's your relationship with God right now? Right now. Be honest again. Don't think about somebody else right now. Think about you. What is your relationship with God right now? I did not say what does everybody else think about your relationship with God. I didn't say that. I didn't say, well, uh, what, what do you th think that uh, you ought to be doing for God? I didn't say that. I said, what's your relationship with him? Right now. Some of you listening to this right now may not even have a relationship with God. You've never entered into that relationship with him. Some of you listening to this may have had one a relationship with God in the past. But maybe something happened. Maybe a difficulty came into your life and you thought, oh, God, I'm, I'm angry at you right now. Maybe you used to have a relationship, but you don't anymore. Maybe some of you have a relationship with God, but it's just grown cold. Maybe it's just grown cold like the spirit in the church there in Israel. Maybe it's just Maybe it's because... The pursuits of life have happened. We've tried to do everything but grow intimate with God. Listen to me. God desperately wants to have a relationship with you. Desperately. He desperately wants to have a relationship with you. In fact, he's begging and pleading with you to come unto him. Come. He's already given us his only begotten son. He's already sent Jesus to the cross for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus already made a way for us to have an intimate relationship with God. The question is, are we going to take it? Are we going to take it? Are we going to spend time with him? Matthew chapter 23, when we look at Matthew chapter 23, we go, whoa. That's a lot of woes. 
We go, wow, God was really scathing them. Wow, yeah, God, give it to them, right? That's the way I used to look at Matthew chapter 23. It's going to be honest. It was exciting to me to watch him rip the Pharisees. But you know what? Studying this, God changed my heart. Again, I have to tell you these things because I know in my own heart it's easy for me to look at other people and say, yeah, God, you go get them. But here's the reality right here. I've got to look inside of my own life. You see, Matthew chapter 23 is not written to just rip on just for the sake of ripping on. See, Matthew chapter 23, I believe, is written to say, hang on a second. Do you know the direction you're heading? Do you know the direction you're going? Do you, do you know what's going on? Whoa, hang on. Are you trying to please me or are you trying to please man? He's calling us to change not the outside, but to change the inside, to run to him and to know him intimately. I want you to go back to Matthew chapter 23. And I, I asked you to remember, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Look at Matthew chapter 23. We read through all the woes. Why don't you notice the last verse in this chapter? Verse 39. The Bible says this, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, but ye shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So everybody's going to stand up today and I want everybody to say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, right? Not the point. The point is not the words that are being said. The point is the heart. Right? Jesus is not about words. He's not, a, not necessarily as concerned about what you say as, as much as your intention in saying it. So listen, will, the point he's trying to make is this. Will you reach out to me for who I am? Will you seek me? Will you learn of me? I am meek and lowly and hard, even unto your souls. My, my yoke is easy. My bird in his light, please come, come unto me. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Listen, if we are not pure in heart, if our hearts are not right with him, listen, Jesus says in this passage, ye shall not see me henceforth. From this time forward, you're not going to see me until you figure out who I am. I'm the Son of God. Come down. To save every man. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Will you come to Jesus today? Will you reach out to him? Listen, I don't know what your past is. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know the anger. I don't know the hurt. I don't know the des desperation. I don't know the depression. I don't know what you're going through today. But this I know, Jesus does. And he's just simply saying, come. Enough of the show. Enough of trying to put on airs. Just come to me. Isn't it time? Isn't it time? 
from what I understand, this is the last time Jesus talks to the Pharisees. This is the last time, and so I'm asking you, don't let this be the last time. I am not into fear tactics. But consider that your life is short. Not one of us knows what the next day brings forth. It's time. It's time. Many times the word of God points out our flaws, not to cast us down, but just to realize the error of our ways. And to come back to Jesus and say, I was wrong. I need to come back to you and who you really are. Will you come to him today? He's calling. He's calling. Come. He wants your heart. Will you give it to him today? He wants your heart. Will you re-give it to him today? Maybe you've walked away. Will you re-give it to him? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you do. Father, we come to you today with my own heart, a broken, a broken heart. Father, in so many ways I've failed. So many ways I've put on airs. Father, before you, you've known all along. Father, I'm just thankful for this time, this study of your scripture. That you would continue to convict, continue to challenge, and continue to change my life. Father, for those that maybe sit here in this room that are feeling the same thing, Father, I pray that your will be accomplished. Help us to look deep within ourselves give those things over to you today. Father, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it. 